This podcast was brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on SiriusXM. From Atlanta, Georgia, and the center of the celebrations and events leading to the big game of Super Bowl 53. This is a Business Radio special presentation of Wharton Moneyball. From the Sirius XM stage on Radio Row, here are your hosts, Cade Massey, Adi Weiner, and Eric Bradlow. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, and welcome to a very special edition of Wharton Moneyball. We are coming to you live from Radio Row in Atlanta, Georgia, scene of this year's Super Bowl, a very special afternoon session where we'll talk to a few folks from around the world of the NFL and soak up the atmosphere um, unlike any other really Super Bowl week teams executives sponsors it's a building full it's a fun place to be I'm Kate Massey joined this afternoon by my co-host and longtime collaborators Adi Weiner and Eric Bradlow it's great to be here what do you think guys it's exciting it's the Super Bowl it's the all of Americans sports energy concentrated into one day that's right that's right i'm just excited about uh, all the people with different careers we have former players here we have executives here we have people that are supplying data we have all kinds of different people with different roles and that's mm-hmm. exciting to see mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. we've done this once before we were in houston two years ago for our debut on radio row and we decided to come back this time around we've got a fun show lined up we have four fantastic guests over the next couple of hours we're going to have them drop in drop out we'll talk to them we'll talk to each other but our first guest is with us now and we couldn't be happier it is eric winston eric welcome to the show thanks for having me guys eric is the president of the nfl players association he was unanimously elected to a third term in march of last year he was a longtime player 12 years in the nfl he played tackle in the nfl he was with the texans chiefs and cardinals and then finished up with the Bengals, i believe that's right he famously came out of West Texas. He, he was a tight end for Midland Lee High School out there in West Texas where they take football very seriously. They're next-door neighbors to Odessa Permian. Some That's of you guys right. may know them from the Friday Night Lights fame. Eric went to school at Miami. He joined the Coker regime when he first got down there, played a little tight end and then switched over to tackle. So, Eric, glad to have you. How is it? How busy a week is it for the president of the NFLPA? It's pretty busy. Um, we started uh, ground running really Tuesday night, but yesterday we had a we had a busy day. We do a lot of programming with the players. One of my big initiatives is, hey, all these guys are going to be here. They're doing some autograph signings. They're doing appearances. They're going to some of the parties. Let's add some value for them. Mm-hmm. So we have uh, we've we've built up over the years uh, a lot of programming, and uh, and we've we've built on it, extended it through some of our commercial initiatives. Yesterday we had a thing called we call Pitch Day, where uh, where small companies come in and pitch their ideas of why they should be uh, given a, a, a commercial license that we own. So think EA Sports, think Fanatics, think uh, Panini Trading Cards. So our face, our likeness, our numbers. What, how would that meld with your company? And so we had some startups come, kind of Shark Tank-ish type thing, and we, we judge them and, and give a winner out, and, and they have some prizes. We give some money for some startups, but they also are, are able to get one of our licenses, uh, obviously through an equity trade. Uh, so that's been a, a, a business line that we've started up in the last two or three years that we're doing. We're trying to bring guys that are very interested in that sort of space, that venture space, that private equity space, the technology space, data, all of those things roll into there. Uh, and so we, we, we put on a big, uh, big thing yesterday, and then last night we have multiple dinners with media or then with former player parties. Today we have... I just got out of a two, three-hour meeting with uh, with our executive committee, and then now we go to our press conference and stopping here and talk to you guys before that, and then tonight we have a, uh, a party tonight with uh, a lot of our licensees. So, again, those EAs, we have over 100 licensees that are licenses, licensees of the PA, and uh, that's how we generate revenue, and, and uh, we become self-sustaining through that. Well, tell us more about the, what the PA, what the association does for the players. And as, a, as an outsider... We know that you know every few years there's a big negotiation with the owners. Right. And but beyond that, most people don't know what the NFLPA does. So what does the what do the players get out of the association? Right. Well, in, in your simplest form, it, it's like every other union. We we bargain for the wages, hours, working conditions, and health and safety of our of our men, and that uh, that doesn't stop at that big negotiation. Everybody hears about the CBA, whether it's every ten years, seven years, five years, however you do it. 
but there's constantly, there's grievances, there's constantly, um, we're, we're looking out for them with uh, um, player protections in the health and safety space. We're, we're activating them and doing different things. Again, we have a for-profit arm, our Players Inc. Uh, goes out and, and we, we build up and, and get appearances for guys. We do a lot of things outside of that traditional union space. Mm -hmm. That, uh, that, quite frankly, takes up a lot of time, but we think adds a lot of value to these guys' career. And one of our big missions is we want you to get more out of football than football is going to get out of you. So who owns the player likenesses after they finish the career? They, they revert back to the player. So these are only active players. It's an I active see. player union. Obviously, we have a former player chapter that, uh, that we still do things for. We still, um, uh, we, we still su support. But uh, it's an active players union, so the, those likenesses will kind of revert. So if you want to uh, put together an electronic game that involves NFL players who have finished their career, you've got to go to them individually and get their permission. Yeah, now, don't get me wrong. We still have, obviously, the contacts there. We still right. are able to facilitate that. But there are some uh, protections. And we've done some group things in that space, in the former player space, whether it's for apparel and jerseys, if you're thinking, you know, the, the 10 best running backs of all time, or again, you start thinking about all-time teams and EA or trading cards, we're able to uh, aggregate those guys much easier than whether the companies are or anybody else's. So, Eric, one of the things as, as professors that we think about when we teach is how much heterogeneity there is in the classroom. Not every student is the same. Well, I would imagine you're dealing with players where some may be in the NFL for a year. Some may be Tom Brady, who's 41 years old. How do you guys balance the needs of, wow, we want to get as much as we can for the top player, but at the end of the day, everybody that's in the NFL and plays should get some level of, let's call it, lifetime benefit. How do you do that balance? Yeah, 60, uh, 60%, over 60% of our guys are on minimum salaries. So, you know, you try to do as much as you can in the, in the right thing for as many people as possible. And then if something's going to, you know, you've got a guy, an outlier on one side that, hey, this rule is not going to benefit him or it could hurt him, we got to be able to then give that person an out in a, in a way to negotiate for if you're talking about contracts, you're talking about something else. But the one thing I think we try to stress to our guys and when you're talking about that revenue split between benefits and salary is you got a 100% chance of being a former player one day and you have a 100% chance of probably being hurt. You're not, not probably, but you do. So you got to make sure that you're covering yourself, not just now when you're 25, but when you're 45, you're 65. So there's been a, a huge emphasis on increasing benefits, making sure guys are, are, are financially solvent throughout their lifetime. And again, that football, that you get more out of football than football gets out of you. That there, There's going to be a trade-off there, and I think we all know that, and I think that's been pretty well publicized, especially in the health, health space the last 10 years. But there's a lot of things we can get out of football, and I think it's us up up to us at the union and in, and as individual players to make sure that trade-off's happening. Mm -hmm. Eric, we are an analytics show. We do analytics ourselves inside of football and outside of football. It's been exciting to see the emergence of this technology as player tracking data, and we've seen the power it has in other sports. This was the first year that NFL teams had full release of these data, but we know that it goes to some of the heart of the player um, union issues. Who owns the data? The, who, who's, who, who, what, what can be done? What information can be shared? So how are you guys thinking about that right now? And what are the prospects for this thing really taking root and growing within football? Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I, I think data is, is that, that undiscovered country right now, right? Like, what, is, what does that frontier look like and what are we talking about? And I think, as you guys know probably better than anybody, it, what's happening now compared to next year is going to be like, man, we were really in the Stone Age. I mean, it, it is happening and, and exponentially multiplying that quickly uh, when you were talking about the advances that are happening in data. I, I think the first thing that comes to my mind when we start talking about data is the players have to own their own data. To me, that's theirs. It, 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 it's just like any other medical rights or anything else. So just, to, is, be clear, the, just to be clear, the way data is used, as you know, one of the great things we have people talk to us all the time about this is for training. Right. And so the team puts a bunch of sensors on Eric Winston right. while he's playing, and you're saying that the team has to get the, the players right to get that data, because that would be a well, form I'll of data it, where I call Eric Winston. It, yeah, because I'll I take see... it a step further. It, okay. the, the player should have access and own it completely. And if he wants to give it to the team yeah, that's right. to discuss, then they can. The thing is, but there's too many times right now where a team will be like, "Well, I guess I'll let you come in and see it, but you can't take it with you." And we're not going to do that. Now, I will say that there is a difference in data, right? If I can watch you run 60 yards, 
that's a step, but that is a piece of data, right? I yeah, mean, that, absolutely. I, I, I don't probably own that, right? And I can probably put a stopwatch on it so I can figure out how fast you're running. But we're start talking about sleep. We're talking about yeah. heart rates. We're talking yeah. about blood pressure. Yeah. We're talking about how, you know, perspiration rates, things of that if nature. If you went to a doctor, you would own that data. Right. And someone you would, would and need exactly. the right and, to and, get and that if, data. And if the doctor went and then told somebody else, that's a HIPAA violation. So that's where I come out as there's a lot of cool and interesting and, and, and very beneficial things we can do with players, right. with data. But it has to start with this conversation of who owns it. Mm -hmm. Because I, I, I'll tell you, like, it's not the teams. It's mm -hmm. the players. Yeah. Mm -hmm. let, me, let me elaborate on that because I had an interesting conversation with a, a doctor whose expertise is sleep. And he knew a little bit about what the NFL had been doing with the sleep diagnostics, in particular some of the coaches. And he pointed out a very grave error that was being made. And that was assigning all the players the same protocol. And right. the reason why the, the, uh, the coach did that is that he was using the average. That was the right thing on average for players to be doing for preparation. The amount of the diet, the times they eat, the amount of sleep they did, the masks that they were being assigned to use to keep out, to, to make sure that they're, they're, they were peak performance at the right time. And what the doctor was telling me was that individual heterogeneity is so much larger than the individual average and that has to be worked in so the players have to recognize that they're going to get this tracking and and data about their heart rates their their sleep their but they have to share it with the team otherwise they're going to get bad advice and won't work for them work on average but for them individually so it's like really it's they do own it and should own it but they have to recognize that they're not going to get the benefit out of it unless their coaches and staff also have access to it and can assign programs for them that are tailored and individualized yeah but and I agree with you in the sense of, but then those programs have to be followed, right? If the sleep pattern comes back and says, this guy shouldn't be practicing on Friday, the coach, right. the coach can't then just go say, well, he still needs to practice Friday. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's my whole thing with this, this tracking data is, unfortunately, it's going and the decisions are being made by people that don't understand it. And you can have the data guy, you can have the statistician, you can have all those guys, but at the end of the day, that head coach who doesn't have any background in it is still making the decision for some reason. Mm. And that's where I come back to where, who's really making the decisions here and why should those people be the ones that own it? And that's, that's where I, I, I'm, I always base it on is that player should own it because he should be able to pick on, hey, I'm going to give it to him because I trust him and I know he's going to make the right decisions for me. Eric, what level of interest does the average player have in those data? You know, analysts are excited about it. Some people in training and strength and conditioning are excited about it, some less so. Yeah. Among the players, how would you characterize their interest? I would definitely say the new age players are very interested in it. I mean, I think they understand and they get it so much more than a lot of the older players because the older players didn't come up through it, right? Mm -hmm. They didn't come up in high school and, and, and all the things that colleges are doing now with it, quite mm -hmm. frankly. We didn't have that in college, so I, I think it's a still a little bit more foreign to them. Mm -hmm. I think they think it's cool, but then tell me what I can do with it. And I, I still don't think that anybody can really say, hey, if I get all this data, I can tell you this about it. I can 100% tell you. Like, I, I, have, I have not seen that sort of level of sophistication yet. And that's just for the, that's because I think we haven't aggregated enough data, quite frankly. Mm -hmm. So when, when those things come out and we can do some more predictive things, we can tell people more about themselves, I think players will see more value in it, and I think they'll want to use it more. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We're talking to Eric Winston. Eric is the president of the NFL Players Association. He's in his third term there after playing for 12 years with a variety of teams, Texans, Chiefs, Cardinals, and Bengals. We are doing a live special presentation down here from Radio Row in Atlanta in advance of the Super Bowl. Cade Massey hosting for the next two hours or so with my buddies Eric Bradlow and Adi Weiner. Eric Winston, Eric, um, how did you get involved? How did you decide to do this union representation thing? Yeah, it's, uh, I'm a masochist, I guess. Um, <laughs> no, you know, when I, when I first went to Houston, there was a guy named Mark Bruner there who's oh, a sure. longtime tight end, played in Pittsburgh, played down, and he was the executive committee member, which is pretty, it's a vice president. So he's, there's 10 vice presidents of the union, and he's one of the guys. And uh, he could take me under his wing. He was a mentor of mine. He taught me how to be a professional, taught me how to work out, how to, how to prepare, how to get ready for practice. Where was this in your career? This is in Houston, my rookie year in your Houston. rookie year. So, okay. And one of the things, you know, when you're working out, you're having random conversations. I'd start, you know, hey, why do we do things this way? Why is it this? You know, and eventually say, hey, you, need, you should come to a meeting. You should come and, hey, Gene will be here. You should ask those questions. Or, hey, you need to come to the, the annual meeting, ask those questions. Those are good questions to be asked. So he kind of pulled me in knowing that I was inquisitive, knowing that I was curious about what was going on, why it was going on, and how we could make it better. Mm -hmm. And that's sort of been my thing. And, and once I got there, I saw a bunch of like-minded guys 
They really wanted to look out for their fellow players and wanted to leave it a little bit better than they found it. Mm -hmm. uh, so that was very appealing to me. That was something that it was a, it was kind of a brotherhood within a brotherhood, so to speak. You're in the NFL, but now there's like another little brotherhood of guys that are trying to look out for their other brothers. And I, th right. I thought that was awesome. So that was that was my entrance in it. I went to the first meeting and I was hooked. I was like, this is awesome. I, I want to be a part of this. I want to help. Since you started in the NFL, what have been the biggest changes you've seen in the use of data? Like if we forget. Oh, so, I mean, it's like. We it, only have a two-hour yeah, show. Maybe yeah. you could talk the I entire mean, time. Well, you just think of like the health and safety sensors, right? And you think of. Um, just well, tell, tell us about that. A lot of folks don't know what right. the health and safety sensors listen, are. Listen, I, I, my rookie year, ESPN was still playing You Got Jacked Up. Right. Remember the top 10, like the hardest hits. And I of do. course, they were always blindside shots right to the cheek. I had a I had a, t <laughs> I had a teammate that won it two two weeks in a row. And I don't think that's something you really want to win two weeks in a row. And now we have this thing where that those are those are those are fouls that you can't do that. You're taught not to do that, that your coach not to do that. So that's how far we've come in really a limited amount of time. Uh, and then on top of that, the. The, whether it's the sensors, the data collection, and just the overall protocols that guys now are coming up with. Because the NFL's put it in, now it's in college. And because the college put it in, now it's in high school. Guys have a better understanding about what it means, what concussions mean, but what, also what their other health and safety and, and how their eating affects their playing and their overall uh, health viability. It, it's, it's totally different. The guy, the rookies coming in now have so much more knowledge and are so much more equipped to have a longer career and a longer lifespan than we were. It's pretty mm -hmm. amazing. Mm -hmm. You played for 12 years. How, how, what kind of injury pattern did you have, and how do you think you well, lasted that long? <laughs> uh, so, I mean, all the, it's, it's always a little bit of luck, right? You, I didn't, you know, that pile, it was piling up. I got out of there without, you know, getting rolled up too bad. I had, I think I had six, seven surgeries, um, mostly scopes. I had a really okay. bad knee injury in college. Okay. Um, so, again, you know, I call that lucky. <laughs> That's sort of mm -hmm. where we're coming at when we really talk about some of these things over 12 years and mm -hmm. both ankles, shoulders, elbows, that sort of things. But we're just talking about the quote-unquote cleanups, right? Mm -hmm. um, so these so weren't actual injuries. They were more just damage accrued over yeah damage accrued yet over yeah of mm -hmm. course so it's something that you know i never missed a game because of an injury which is i'm, I'm really proud of amazing. but it's i'm also amazing. lucky of I, I tried to look at things a little differently uh stretching and, and yoga were always a big priority of mine mm -hmm. when i hurt my knee really bad in uh, college that was part of the program mm -hmm. when i got deeper into rehab was yoga and like man my back feels great after this and wow. i feel pretty good so I, I kept it in there, and I think that was a big part. I think uh, trying to learn more about health and eating right, I think that helps. But, again, some of it's luck. I think I was in a good system for it, the zone system, all of that. I mean, I, you know, I, I can't say there was one silver bullet, but making sure you're sleeping right, making sure you're stretching, making sure you're doing right, at least you give yourself a better probability, a better chance of staying healthy. All right. There's a, the, the intellectual version of that is to go to grad school. And something we Sorry. haven't mentioned yet <laughs> is that you are in the Wharton Executive MBA program, which is just like our MBA program, yeah. just that you go every other weekend for two years. So yeah. you're working full time, but you drop into Philadelphia every other weekend yeah. and study. 5.30 flight tomorrow morning. Is that right? Yeah. My gosh. Even Super Bowl weekend. That's can't, right. Can't miss class. That's right. Can we reschedule this? <laughs> So what, in the short time you've been there, you know, six, six months or so, or nine months maybe, yeah. um, it, how has it changed the way you're thinking about your job? Oh, man, it's been great. That, that's been the one fun thing about this is that, you know, you get something, you get a piece of knowledge, and then you can immediately deploy it, right? You can immediately, whether it's, hey, I'm looking over the financials of the union, like, I, I understand reading those at such a deeper level and understanding what right. I'm looking at and how to read them and go about it and, and just the way it's, you know, it's like Neo finally looking at the matrix. You're like, oh, okay, I, I see it now, that sort of thing. And then, it, again, it, you're, a lot of the guys there and myself, we're all at different levels of hard skills, right? I mean, some guys come from an accounting background, some guys come from an econ background. Whatever you come but you're probably bringing some sort of skills. And mine might be, a bigger learning curve than others since I haven't been in that traditional some sort of business role in the last 12, 13 years. So for me, it's, it's been great. But I think the way they want you to think, the way they're teaching you to approach problems, to understand problems, to understand and come up with solutions is the real value there. I mean, a lot of guys can do equations, a lot of people, but how do you think about a problem, approach a problem and solve it? 
that's something that I think has been really valuable and really special mm -hmm. uh, about the program so far, and, and it gets me excited about going every weekend because of that. That's, that's great to hear. So I, I thought I, I was going to ask you how you're going to watch the Super Bowl and what's that, what's that going to be like for you, but you're going to be studying, apparently. You're not going to no, be I'm around. I'm flying back. I'm flying back here on Sunday? <laughs> so, yeah, I'm, it's late Saturday night. I'm coming back after uh, 48 hours of, of class. Wow. Uh, so I'm going to come back and, and do my regular thing and, um, yeah, it'll be fun. It's like, again, it, it, this is a long work week, but it's a great culmination of watching, uh, you know, I got a really good friend playing in the game. I was going to say, are you allowed to have preferences? I, I'm, I'm not, but, <laughs> but you end up. if the Rams win, it won't be that, you know. <laughs> but I, listen, I, I played with a guy for a long time, Andrew Whitworth, who's a yeah. good buddy of mine. And, uh, you know, I just seeing him being able to have this kind of success and, and finally being able to win some playoff games and, and being able to play, he deserves he deserves a game like this. And, you know, both teams, when you're in a job like this, you get to know so many guys, and you kind of root for them all. But I'll, I'll be rooting maybe not for the team, but him pretty yep. specific. Yep. I'm yep. not just saying this because you're sitting here as a former lineman, but, I mean, isn't the game going to be won by the offensive line of one team or the other? Look, whoever can run the football, whoever can protect the quarterback – that's who's going to win the game the best. I mean, has the greatest chance of winning the game, right? right? I mean, I'm not just saying this because you're standing, but being, Listen, isn't that it? It's funny when you, you start talking about uh, franchise building and how you build a team and all of this. And, and I always say the, the formula is pretty simple. Find the quarterback, protect the quarterback, go get the other quarterback. Like every good team is built that way. There's very few teams that end up getting good without that sort of formula. So uh, the Rams definitely have it. I, you got to give your hat. You got to tip your hat to the, with the Patriots. They don't have a lot of big names up front, but they're playing awfully well. As I said, finding, zero sacks given up against the number one sack team and in the NFL. Also finding ways to disrupt the quarterback too. That's another stat that's really hard to to quantify. Is hey, I'm making the guy throw on time, or I'm making him throw off the spot. It, you can't quantify that stuff, but it matters. It matters to the DBs, and it matters to the Yeah, we just talked about it on our show yesterday. We talked about a lot of people who want to measure just sacks. What about hurries? What about hits? What about making him move his feet in the pocket? So overall there's lots disruptions. of overall disruption is a great term. Eric, if you were a tackle on the New England Patriots line this week and you're about to face that defensive line, like what would you be thinking about and yeah. doing this week? facing those guys i would tell my guards don't get hurt because i don't want to go down there and play <laughs> uh you know aaron donald and, and sue and and foul those guys are special players i mean they really are especially the, the the kind of success aaron donald is having um is 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 incredible when you think about the fact that it's very easy to just move the guard move the center over to double team him and he's still getting in there constantly he's still finding ways to disrupt you got to tip your hat to wade phillips and and bill johnson up front um, of, of moving him around and creating those matchups where he can win one-on-one -on -one and he can get more one-on-ones. But that's going to be the game, right? Can, can you disrupt Brady from the middle of the pocket? Uh, can you protect? Can you run the ball and keep uh, New England's defense kind of on their heels? And if you can do that, it's a way to win. That's a way to beat them. All right. Well, listen, it's be fun to watch. Um, Eric, we very much appreciate your taking time out of what I'm sure is a busy schedule down here. I know you're rushing in here and rushing out, but it was great to talk to you. Wish you the best with your work. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. You bet. That was Eric Winston, president of the NFL Players Association, longtime tackle in the NFL and an executive MBA at, at, at Wharton University of Pennsylvania. Lots of folks getting ready to watch. Patriots-Rams, we're going to do two hours of conversation about Patriots and Rams and all things NFL just off of a conversation with Eric Winston, NFLPA president, rolling into a conversation with Damani Leach. Damani, welcome to the show. Thank you. Good to be here. Glad to have you, man. Damani yeah. is senior vice president of football strategy and business development at the National Football League. He was at the NCAA for about 17 years before that. Before that, he played a little defensive back for Princeton. Right. And originally out of Tacoma, Washington. T-Town. Damani, you got, you got lots of little credentials on your tag. Can you go anywhere around here? Like, I, what kind I, of rooms? I think I can go just about anywhere. Where but can, you know, What can't you get into? You think all access means all access. It actually doesn't. There's different layers of all access. <laughs> you know, it's all access with a star and with a little logo. And so... I just keep walking until somebody tells me I can't go. Somewhere. That's right. That's the way these Super Bowl parties are too, right? You, you get you get invited you get invited to some party and you think you're special, then you realize there's a special circle yep. inside the party. Yep. You got to have yep. another permit. There's always another one. level. Listen, Damani, can you tell us a little bit about what's in your portfolio right now? You've been doing this yeah. job for about four years. About four years, yeah. It's um, it's a fairly new role within um, uh, the league office. So I work in our football operations group. What we do is we focus on the game of football. That's how we play it, coach it, officiate it, who does it, where we do it, how we do it, and just how do we make it better okay. is the bottom line goal is make the game of football better, particularly with a future focus. 
to look three, five, in some cases, ten years out. All right. Well, I'm glad you're thinking about that because I'm sure nobody else is thinking about it. <laughs> no one has any opinions on how to make the NFL better. Not right? at all. Especially not Eric, who's dying to get in. Oh, right wow. in. I'm right already in. asking him Here questions, we go. Devani. Here we go. So what does, I mean, better can mean, as a marketing professor, better can yep. mean lots of things. Yep. Better from the customer experience, better from the player experience, better from the owner, better in-game, better on television or right. through media or right. all of the above. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's almost like a little Venn diagram with those groups. There's a lot that overlaps. There's some things that don't. Um, we think that if we can make the game better from a football perspective, from a very football-centric perspective, the other groups are all going to appreciate that. Fans, owners, players, um, they have more of their interests aligned than don't align. Um, so we're really focused on the game that's being played on the field and how to make that better. One of the things that interests me uh, is tracking football is why America is particularly fascinated with NFL as opposed to the other sports. It is clearly you know, emerged as the number one sport. And the reason I often give is that it's only 16 games. Mm-hmm. We can easily yep. concentrate an enormous amount of our energy. Damani, you uh, should know that he's a baseball guy. Yes. So he's, uh, a little bit, he's a little bit envious. Okay. He's a little envious. Okay. But, you know, baseball is 162 games. It and it's, 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 a, it's a slow walk. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I, I, we, we have its advantages. But what in particular about um, the NFL football is so important to Americans? Yeah. I personal opinion because sure. I because I, I, I like this question I, quite honestly and that's I think it's the question we have to ask ourselves when we go into policy mode in the off season about what to change and not change about the game you have to start with what is it about the game that makes it special and important and part of that is I think is the cadence the schedule cadence and how often they play letting things breathe the drama having conversations for two hours about right, um, right. this this game that we're going to have but then also it's the the game itself um the movement, I think it's sort of the, the acquisition of property as you move your way down the field. It's very militaristic. It's war. I think people, <laughs> I think people like that. Yeah. Um, there's a lot about the game that's complicated. Having two kids, you can break it down to its simplest form, which is just sort of acquisition of territory, back and forth mm. to score points mm. and goals. Mm. You do that over and over and over until the clock runs out. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that is something that's interesting to people. I think they find it understandable, digestible, but it also just resonates with them. Mm-hmm. Damani, you know, I know you've been doing interviews this week, so I know you've had this question a lot, but we've got to ask you. Go for it. What, what are you thinking on officiating? What's going to happen with officiating? And how much, how much of a bump does that issue get because of what happened in New Orleans? Uh, well, I guess what I'll say is this. We are always focused on officiating. It's not something that, that we just started talking about or just started trying to improve. We've been doing it really almost for 100 a, a years now since we've had a league is how we make the game better, and part of that is, a, is officiating better. Um, so my role, my group's role is to work with these different units. So officiating is, is one of them and talk about how we can use data, how we can use technology, other policies and procedures that are going to make their work easier, make it better. Mm-hmm. Um, that's our task is to bring those different innovations to them. Mm-hmm. Could you talk about how data and technology can actually help officials, not necessarily during the game, although yeah. you could imagine you, can. you could imagine something in game, and maybe you could talk to us about thoughts of that, but yeah. even after the game, like how do ref- how are referees scored? Absolutely. How would they, you know, yeah. we're, since we're both, I'm an NFL guy, but I'm also a baseball guy. Umpires in baseball, Umpires graded, baseball yeah. get graded. You can see, did they call a ball when it was right. really a strike and vice versa? How is that done in the NFL? It's, it's very similar. So the... It, NFL, baseball, uh, NBA, I think that evaluation process is very similar. Post-game, there are evaluations, there are numeric scores that are given. Um, our, our graders do it on a play-by-play basis, so think about that. There's seven officials on the field, every play, 155 plays a game. Everybody is being graded in terms of how they performed on that play. And then you start to aggregate that information, not just for an individual, but for a crew, for all 126 officials, and then it's just math. Then you start doing, asking yourself questions about how are we calling certain plays uh, by play type, by location on the field. Um, are they calling things differently indoors versus outdoors, early season versus late season? And now with the player tracking data, we also have chips in the balls. We have chips on our officials. So now we can start to look at movement and location, their mechanics, and just provide them Really, it should be supplementary information to what they're already doing as part of the grading and evaluation. Process. You know, we should have someone from the league on the show sometime. We would love to hear about NFL, I mean, referee analytics from very from a very supportive, you know, yeah. learning and development perspective. That would be fascinating. Well, yeah. you could imagine a situation, uh, Damani, where the referee missed the call, whatever that means, yep. because he or she was on the wrong angle. Right? They weren't actually. It was the. It wasn't that they made a mistake. Just given where they were standing. Yep. 
they got the wrong call. Right. So that's, I mean, in some sense, there are, there's, it's a different kind of mistake. Right. How about right. that way? And so what we're trying to do is, right now, a lot of that, and historically, has been done using two-dimensional video, just like players looking at game film. And so now we're trying to take the data and say, okay, let's take a similar play, a run to the, to the right sideline, where are the officials Fantastic. in that right. play? Are they all in the same location? Are there outliers? What's happening with those outliers? And using that to, to help our officials. Do you, do you expect that there, there will be more instant replay? More instant in terms have? of, like, reviews? Reviews. Actual more reviews? Yeah, I more, don't, I will, don't they, will they change the rules, for example? I, I don't expect there will be more reviews. I think what we'll do is what we've continued to do, which is try to improve the replay review process. Yeah. So that's both on the field as well as the decisions Al and his crew make in New York and provide them with tools to make decisions, more importantly, faster. I think right. that's our big focus. Right. And, right. and how, how do you guys think about the resources you put on a game at, in the postseason versus in the regular season? I don't know how you're, in what way you're constrained. So you come down to the conference championships, for example, there are only two games versus the yeah. 16 on a normal weekend. Do you have more resources dedicated? I don't even, I mean, how do you all think about that? There are, so, so our, our office, the AMGC, basically, you've got a bunch of officials that are, um, Al and his staff are in the room looking at all of the games. So Sunday, 1 o'clock, you could have 8, 9, 10 games right, going right. on at a time. So you're spread across um, a lot so more. So you start to get spread pretty thin versus a traditional Sunday night, Monday night game. You can all be laser focused on one okay. game. Okay. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that to say that those Sunday games lack for any sort of oversight or anything like that. So what about the other, the big other controversy that, you know, we'll get over the referee thing, I'm sure. The NFL, <laughs> if anything, has proven to be robust to almost anything. Where, where do you, where are you guys now on the health issues that we were just at the NFLPA on here? And one of their big concerns, obviously, is health, you know, concussions and improving the health around that is always going to be a big yeah. deal. Is that part of the, con- how are y'all thinking about that? Ab- right absolutely. And, and we can use data and technology to help us solve that, not just from, an equipment standpoint, which we've invested millions of dollars in trying to make not only helmets better, but we're now focused on shoulder pads and cleats and spending a lot of time on that. But also, again, with the player tracking data, where players are on the field uh, at certain times when different incidents happen. We've got researchers looking at video to say, what are the angles and body positions people are at? Where are people getting hit? On what kind of play type? To start to distill down what is actually the significant variable that we need to try to correct. Mm-hmm. So, Damani, one of the things that we do as researchers and statisticians is we think about running experiments. Now, I don't yep. mean the experiments like, well, let's just play around with this player's health or safety. What are the kinds of things that you're thinking, boy, let's try this out? Is there something you can tell us that the league is thinking, you know what, it's at least worth trying. We don't yeah. know if it's going to work, right. but we're going to experiment with yeah. it. Or if, you, if it, you can't tell us about something in the future, maybe something that's been done the last couple of years where you had an idea, you tried it out, it was successful. Can you give us some idea? I about think, it? I think I'll the, call it a your, culture of experimentation. Yeah, I think to your latter point, it's the kickoff. So we, we've had data over time that has shown on a, on a per rata basis um, injuries, particularly concussions, have been most severe on kickoffs. And so we started with that data point and we said, okay, what can we look at to try to change? And some of that was equipment, some of that was alignment. Um, and then just really looked at data and tried to make changes, but we didn't know. So really the 2018 season was one long experiment in what happens when you change certain things around the kickoff. So what are the variables that you were experimenting with? I know that there were some changes that were actually implemented, but what do you actually... Yeah. What can you so, play with? So the, the way that people line up prior to the kick, you can't run up before the kick. Now you That's have a to change. start. Yeah. Even to start. number of people? Even number of people on both sides of the ball. Where the, the return team, where they can line up, how many have to be in a certain box, what they can do right off the kick. They used to do jump blocks and attack guys right away. They I actually like that. That, that guys can just signal fair catch without actually yeah. going for the ball, yeah. which is another part of that change. No, more, no you, more wedge blocks, two-on-one blocks. You can't do that Right, anymore. but these are rules that were instituted league-wide all at once? Yes. And then you just tried, you tried different things? And we, did, we did those all at once. You did them all at once. We there don't, you go. We, we don't you have play with the one. benefit of yeah. we don't have a minor league. So we don't have the benefit of an Not environment yet. where we're able to test those things out. Um, so <laughs> we'll, we'll experiment with some things during Pro Bowl. We do that with a lot of technology at Pro Bowl. Okay. Um, a few things during preseason, but not much. People are competing for real jobs, so that's hard to do. Um, but sometimes you just have to just take a chance during the season to see how it goes. Damani, talking about experimenting with technology in the Pro Bowl, we saw the way you guys 
pushed out motion tracking data. Yeah. It was really neat what you were doing online there and some with the television production. You're, one of your big jobs is what you said is forward-looking. Where yeah. is football going to be three or five years from now? How can yeah. we make that as good as possible? Yeah. Can you give us some ideas that you're thinking about on that front? I think there's, there's sort of short-term, like 2019, some things we're going to try to do with, with player tracking and ball tracking. So one that we're really taking a hard look at is kicks out of ba- punts out of bounds, right? The punt goes deep, goes out of bounds, the referee runs down the field, <laughs> just stops somewhere. And I totally arbitrary. High, high 90% of the time, now that we have the data to know yeah. where the ball went out of bounds, we can say with a good degree of confidence, over 90% of the time, they're within a yard of where it went I was going to ask you, right? we're That's statisticians, we talk about really, margin of error. Really I was going to ask 10%, you what, they're it's really, really good. Uh, not and so great. No, right? but it's a, but it's a bell curve, it starts to spread out. And there yeah. are some times, there's been occasions when it's been five, six, seven, eight yards away from yeah. where it went out of bounds. But you yeah. just said within a yard. I think if you asked most fans who yeah. don't know, they would have said, there's no way 90% is within yeah. a yard. That's, yeah. that's a great yeah, concept. They're really, they're really, really good at it. So the question is, how do we use that data efficiently, so quickly and accurately to get them to make a correction and say, actually, you put the ball at 25, it actually should be at the 30. Right. And without delaying the game, are there will there be right. fan uh, motivation tracking? Like, for example, in baseball, we love to watch how fast they throw the pitch. Will we yeah. see? Will we see on screen immediately that pass was X miles per hour? I think that our, speed that you know. I think our sense is that that day is coming. So, that's got to be. Yeah, right. that day is coming. Particularly with the technology getting as quickly as it can, and you'll see that on on Sunday again, with it getting as good and as fast as it can. We know that's going to come. I think. I think what we're saying is like, how do we start to use that data to make the game better? So. I think really like five, ten years, maybe not even that far, working with our partners like Microsoft and Intel is sort of the complete digitization of the field. And now you know That's what everything. I was going to ask you. You know yeah. every really? point from a video and from a data standpoint where every event happens. So the ball, did the ball go over the goal line? When did it go over the goal line relative to other body parts? Starting to figure that out with a high degree of accuracy and speed, mm-hmm. uh, I think is where we'll be in the next five years. What, is there any conversation around the style of play, or do you just guys kind of let things evolve as they evolve? So the play really has changed in the yeah, last couple of years. Absolutely. So, and you can start to do that with data. So things like, where are the cornerbacks lined up? I'm an old cornerback, right? How many of them are in press coverage versus off coverage? How often does that happen? You used to have to look at video to do that. We know that instantaneously now. Mm -hmm. Um, Where is the ball being thrown? We have a map of every single pass thrown in 2017 and 2018. Mm -hmm. Where were the completions thrown? Where were the incompletions thrown? Mm -hmm. Where are our officials relative to those passes? Do we need to change mechanics in that area? So uh, I think there's a lot. We're just really starting to scratch the surface of it. Mm -hmm. What do you think is the hardest part of your job, Damani? What would you most like help or insight or progress on um, geez, I think the high degree of certainty with which we have to do things that, particularly when it comes to technology, things can't work 95% of the time, right? That 5% is a win versus a loss. That 5% is someone losing their job, right? So things have to work with a high degree of certainty and accuracy um, before we roll something out. And that's, that's really a challenge. But marrying that with the high expectations of, this is a $13 billion league. You guys should be able to get everything done, you know, <laughs> right. perfectly. So trying to manage those expectations with the reality of where we have mm-hmm. to be. Mm-hmm. Have you tried manufacturing another Patrick Mahomes? Is that, <laughs> is that in the works at For, all? Fortunately, that happens pretty naturally. And that's the beautiful part about this game is that um, you get to see young players like that who bring energy and in some cases a different style of play to the game that's really, really refreshing. So mm-hmm. it's... Um, that that part is pretty exciting. Mm-hmm. What's the popularity of football in high school relative to it was ten years ago and twenty yeah. years before that? So so we're o- over about a ten year period. I think we're off in the single digit percentages in terms of a decrease in high school football participation, um, which isn't good. But it's also you have to take that in context, right? With any data, you take it in context. What, what's happening across the entire sports landscape? You see a lot of sports specialization. You see a lot of people just not playing sports in general. Um, not unlike what's happening in the media industry. Everybody's fighting for viewers. Viewership is declining, so you got to just try and get the biggest pie you can. Uh, I think we're trying to do that with, with youth and high school football as well. Mm-hmm. Listen, Damani, we appreciate you taking the time out of a very busy week to be yeah, with us. absolutely. It's love, fun. Love hearing about the work that you're doing. We're big fans of the sport. Even Audie Weiner here. Oh, I'm out. I'm not. We've converted rock him. Rock and roll, yeah. We've Doing converted great. him in the last do five it. years, and I now like he's, it. like, really digging you in. You know what it is has done it. It's the data. I'm just rolling in data. Right? And it's, it's just amazing. fun. Yeah. I waste a whole Sunday afternoon just plowing <laughs> through. There's a lot you can do with it. <laughs> All right, sir. Donnie, wish you the best this week. Have fun with it, and wish you the best with the work. Thank you, guys. Forward. I appreciate it. Thanks a lot.
That was Damani Leach, Senior Vice President of Football Strategy and Business Development at the National Football League. He's been in the job about four years looking at making the game of football better, looking at what's coming up in the next three to five years. He picked up that position after working in the NCAA for about 17 years. Damani Leach. Gentlemen, what'd you make of that? Well, I love the idea of the, uh, I forget what he called it, not the censored field, but basically censored. Digitized. Field, digitized, digitized field. The digitized yeah. field. Well, I think that's a remarkable opportunity. Yeah. You know, in some sense. Well, why, say more about that. Well, because right now we see where everybody it's is. Coming. Well, well, track. No, but what I mean by something like that is like when the ball goes out of bounds, I literally mean like a sensor just lights up, the ball goes here. So or, I should think of it like the tennis lines. Right. Yeah. But not just the tennis lines. That's optical. Like right now, let's be clear. The field it's has not no digital. sensor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the players have things on pads, them. The, the field has nothing on it. So why can't the field have sensors and stuff on it? Have I call it? You know, well then you don't, need light the, up. Then you don't need the tracking on the players. Well, except you might have many people within the same zone. It depends on the resolution yeah. of the that, data. What does that technology look like? Because how do you put something in there that's going to be stable to all the traffic? And activity. That's hardware, man. I don't do that. I guess maybe the artificial, <laughs> artificial turf. You couldn't do this on natural, presumably. Right? I would assume the answer is probably no. Right. And but it, it could also be, by the way, that it doesn't have to be the field itself. It could be. I'll make it up. There's sensors all over every stadium now that can actually pinpoint. So it's not just the players that have sensors. Yeah. The stadium could have sensors. All of that could be done. But it's interesting how his focus on analytics and data is in improving the game. The game. Thinking about the referee and the player, the player and the whole overall experience. But I, as an analyst, and we, I mentioned and you mentioned my interest in baseball historically, one of the reasons why I got into in baseball and a lot of people in my cohort did is because of the availability of data. Mm-hmm. You'd buy a baseball card, the back of it was loaded with information, and you just tear the game apart, and you were able to observe We thought and calculate. in the 70s that felt like it was loaded. It, it, it sure did. That was Today, loaded for the Back of a baseball but, card. but football was useless. There was nothing you could say about a football player of any value. I mean, that we know today, and people even knew back then I mean, it wasn't that valuable. We had football cards. There we had football what's cards. How many touchdowns you got, how many yards, and everyone knew that that was not anything you could attribute completely to the individual. That's not true. That, well, maybe, yeah, <laughs> I knew it. And, but it, was, it just wasn't as rich. And what I'm, I'm predicting is happening with this digitization, with the evolution of tracking, is we're going to have individual metrics, which we're just going to trade and talk about on a very simple, facile way that we didn't used to. And it's going to be fun. We'll talk about the, we'll, we'll talk about what's Brady's top speed velocity off of a, of a, of a, when he throws the football versus the other quarterbacks. And you can see it. I, I know that you know, by my eye, I could see that Nick Foles doesn't, didn't throw as hard as uh, Drew Brees and not as yeah. accurate. But you yeah. get a number on that. Yeah. The, the two things that um, Damani talked about that I was really excited about. Number one, he's in a learning business and a culture of experimentation. So I like the idea that he said, well, in some sense, we treated the entire 2018 uh, season as an experiment. He was laying the kickoffs. Let's measure a bunch of things, like do we get lower injuries and how does this affect various metrics, and let's track it. I thought that was one Mm -hmm. very, very exciting thing that he talked about. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, the second thing that he talked about that was pretty exciting to me was, in some sense, the use of data to improve the game on the field and how we think about what it means to improve the game and also kind of what it means for different levels of play of the game. I I thought that was really, really interesting. Mm -hmm. I just thought that I hadn't thought that the NFL would be thinking of, let's call it the policy implications and data is the way you're going to address whether those policies, what is the real impact of these policy changes? And you have more data now than you used to. Yeah, the, the job in general, let's just say, I mean, that guy's job is ridiculous. His job is to figure out how to make football better. Like there's a guy with that job that's, that's incredible. I think it's an easier job is to think about keeping it as popular as it is without yeah, knowing it. Yeah, that, that, well, I don't know about that. That's not easy. That's not that's easy, but a, that's really the goal. I'm not, I would, if I were in his position, I'd been thinking how to make it better, but how to just make like sure that you maintain the Risk the mitigation, basically. I mean, this is, I mean, people have been talking about the risk that is... But maybe risk. you grow out of it. I mean, that's the, the, one of the Pat Mahomes' effect is that it's just more fun to watch football than it used to be. And yet you're going to grow out of the problem, you know, if you have that kind of play on the field to some extent. At least that's possible. Right. Well, I think one of the things also that is interesting is that, and I'm not saying he avoided the question. Tabani was honest about all the questions, was better for who? And again, I go back to 
you could imagine there being this tension between, in some sense, what does many of us like about the game of football? Well, first of all, people are running around fast. It's a violent sport. Violent. And so at some level, you know, I'll just use the technical term, there has to be an interior solution. We don't want it to be super violent. We don't want it to be completely nonviolent. Right. And so there's going to be some interior point that has the optimal amount of violence. And, of course, <laughs> if you ask, no, what's interesting is if you asked Eric Winston, our first guest, he might have a point that's a little bit farther to the left, less violence, yeah. maybe than the league wants. I don't know. I'm hypo- I, have, I don't know that. I'm just commenting that when he says make the game better, I yeah. think there could be a significant debate about what the better you know, game we is. Did, we, exactly. We didn't get into it, but the, the, the governance of that question is interesting. Like, what's the decision-making body on these issues? And I'm pretty sure it's a committee that... that the NFL like, and the players the NFL. I, but I think the real danger for the NFL in the future, particularly with regard to violence and health, is at the high school level. And even lower. Well, that was a question you asked I did, about popularity. But, but I want to hear about. I know it's down. And I, if you just listen, I, I mean, this is a this is a stereotype. But no Jewish mother would let her son play football. I mean, and that was the stereotype of the age, where there are few exceptions, but not many, mm-hmm. because it was just generally thought of. That's not the game. That's a violent game, and mm-hmm. we stay away from that. And that sentiment has become more of a, a widespread sentiment. Mm-hmm. And the mm-hmm. question is, mm-hmm. it's certainly geographic. You won't you won't see that. I mean, you're from Texas. It's culturally different. It's culturally very yeah. different. But you can see that the places where football is as dominant in middle school. I mean, you have this um, the Pop Warner leagues that you get started of. Those are shrinking. Yeah, that's elementary school. That's elementary school. Yeah. And this is where the whole thing gets started. I mean, I think that the culture, the dominance of football is is in some level because it's a fun game to watch, and I'm willing to see that now more than ever. But when you're talking about putting your kids on the field, yeah. and I think that's where sports in general has becomes popular, is because you play it. Yeah. Um, that's going to shrink. I think yeah. that's well, so let me, let me just push back a little bit on what I he said and what's changed and relates exactly to what Damani talked about. So my kids never, matter of fact, uh, our, our high school that our kids go to is undefeated in football because it's never had a football team. So they have t-shirts that say we're undefeated forever. Um, but here's the thing. My, both my sons played soccer, which is actually a very physical sport, and lacrosse, which is also a very yeah. physical sport. Here's the thing that Damani talked about. Everything is censored now. So we actually get, if my son, either of them, would have played, I have a younger son who's playing now, were to take a hit, we would actually get a note and a message about the degree of severity of that hit. And so that's monitored now in real time. In fact, at the high school my kids go to... Like in a lacrosse pack practice. Absolutely. You get a Not report just in at the pra- end of practice. In practice, in games, they must wear a head sensor. Look, my sons play squash. It's not a very physical sport, but you have to wear a sensor for every practice now. They do. They wow. do. Even in they, squash. Even in squash. I guess they're, they don't do They're all wearing headbands. Maybe that's the one, maybe that's the one they, sport where you can avoid it. It's not a style. You know, we see the protective uh, garments on uh, football players as well in practices. Now. Yeah. They wear these little sleeves over their helmets now. Let's talk a little bit about the game. We're going to have a yeah. little time at the end of the show, Wanna open hear? lines. I mean, you know, not open lines, unfortunately, but open conversation. Um, let's take, let's squeeze a little bit in while we can. We talked on our regular show yesterday about the game. We've continued to mull things. We've got some more data. What's your latest thinking on how this game is shaping up? Well, let me guess. It was something we talked about on the plane coming here today, um, which is the value of one data point. So I've always made the prediction. You guys, will, I'm not, I will give, answer your question in just a second. I've always made the prediction. You let me watch one series from each team, and I will tweet on at W Moneyball who's going to win the game. Because I'm going to watch the game, like Eric Winston said, in the trenches, and I'm going to see who's dominating the trenches. So if you ask me right now, I'm becoming more and more convinced that the Rams, Professor Weiner's pick, can do (laughs) some damage here because of the force of the defensive line of the Rams. However, let me just say, (laughs) I will update after one data point, which is one series on each team. I will tweet my prediction at at W Moneyball. (laughs) It could be. I will tweet then. But if you ask me right now, the Rams are rising in the Bradlow prediction system. All right. Well, here's my my early early comments. I'm sure we'll have more time to think about it. One of the things as a statistician, I observe there's so much focus on individual little particular pieces of data that you can tease out. So, for example... The, it turns out the Patriots are, I think, 11-1 or 16-1 in the playoffs when they are playing against a team f- from whom they played in, they did not play in the regular season, and, they're, and they are 13-9 when they're playing in the playoffs against a team that they did. The argument there is that people... This is the Patriots, play the, the Patriots The Patriots play a team once. They are able to adjust in some way and do much better. This is exactly the kind of cherry-picked, 
post hoc statistics that I believe is absolutely meaningless. So if you, but it's a giant discrepancy, so, 16 so, and you, 1 you, versus 13 how, and now 9. How would you identify that? How, how, do you, how do you distinguish between what seems cherry-picked and post hoc versus legit? Like, how would you characterize? When, okay. Like, what characteristics does something like that have that make you suspicious? All right. So here's – well, first of all, I don't know enough about football to be suspicious on a contextual level. So if I knew more about the game, I would say, you know, bah, because of something I, I can know, know from context. So I don't do it that way. But so do, here's what I do. Basically, my view is you first start with the idea, and then you go collect the data. Well, the only this way is an it. idea a person, if they thought for fu- that knows football, that thought for five or ten minutes, they would say, That's right. I wonder. So this isn't like. So I the just- person who invented it, they should be more confident in it. But I see hundreds of these. So what am I supposed to do? Learn something sure. about football yeah, right. and so come what do you up think? with hypotheses. So let me ask my, my colleagues here, what do you think about that data point? 16-1 and one against teams that they have not played during the season and 13-9 and nine versus teams that they have. Is it that way or the opposite? It's that way. It's it's that, and, and they did wait, not play better, the Rams. They're it's better, better against, against teams. teams they've never seen in, in the season. It's surprising. because that well, The story would be, I think one story might be that, that um, Belichick has a bigger advantage from, 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 from without from cold, without having played. He's better, like generating advantages without actually having played the team on the field than the other average coach is. So that, that advantage goes away once you've had a rep. That's one theory. All right, so this is a theory in favor of the Patriots. So now let's take, let's take another theory. We'll throw this one out. turns out that, that Brady is a spectacular quarterback when he's edge-rushed. So when they're coming around, I guess so that's what this but means. Relative. Wait. Relative. I mean, he's always a spectacular yeah. quarterback, but he's exceptionally good, particularly this past season when they're coming around. But when he's pressured interiorly, he's much more average. Mm-hmm. And guess which which team is the best in the league at interior yeah. uh, pressure? Yeah. The Rams. There you go. That's right. a Rams data point. Well, let me ask you How a question. How are you feeling about the is, Patriots now? Well, let me ask you a question. <laughs> is the implications of this? I know it's not a full game. So why don't we just break it down a little bit more? Do the Rams have a better chance now in the second half or the— than the first half, because you know, what does it have to by, be a whole by game? By the same logic. Why by does it have to be a whole logic. game right. by the same logic? That's right. We got another one. Another. We have time for another division. I've been like collecting these. Give us so one more. One Ozzie. more. The Rams were exceptional in the first half of the season, and the second half they're much lower. And what do you think the Patriots have performed? Well, we know it's the opposite. Yeah. Now, you actually, I looked carefully. It, it, it seems like the opposite, but of the four best graded games by, uh, by my friend Ma- uh, Cade Massey and his, and his co-partner, uh, Rufus Peabody, they graded four games of the best of the season with the, with the Patriots. Which three of them are in which half of the season? Uh, you're going to say the you know first it. half. They're, They're in the, the first, first half. half. So right. I think that the but real I, story yeah. is the Rams have decreased, but I think the Patriots have been good Now all you're cherry-picking. I'm totally cherry-picking. But their you're worst guilty. games are also in the first half, too. Well, let's come back to those data because I think they're really interesting, and those data have pushed me towards the Pats. I picked the Pats, but kind of barely. And when I look at the trend over time, like I look at good data over the course of the season, we'll, and we'll do that in more detail at the end of the show, I come out even more solidly on New England. Oh, I think it's the momentum. I know you do. Well, right? I mean, my, my story is that they were very – the Patriots were very volatile in the beginning. They had some great games and some horrible ones. And since in the second half, they've played almost all good games. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Except for the well, one game against Miami. Bad against that. All right. So this is a special episode of Wharton Moneyball coming to you from Radio Row Live on a Thursday afternoon in advance of the Super Bowl. Thought we'd drop down here and do our show down here, do our thing, talk to some of the folks. It's a big open building with every production company imaginable doing shows from down here it's a lot of fun two days three days three days before the actual event we have another half to go on this show come back and join us after the break for more insight from business radio please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu